thinkers. Welcome to this week's episode of The Thinking Podcast. I'm excited to have James Calhoun, who's the founder of Food Matters. So he runs one of the largest online communities talking about food as an input in the human system and has produced uh, a couple you know, big documentaries around the food and, and how that affects our health and lifestyle. So uh, an early contributor, I would say, to the broader biohacking movement around getting a lot more thoughtful about you know, the inputs into our system that really drives the outputs of how we function as human beings. So excited to have you here with us. Hi, Jeff. You know, excited to chat. This is, uh, this is the topic of our time, isn't it, really? Absolutely, absolutely. So you're dialing in, in from Australia, and mm-hmm. uh, that's an interesting, you know, country because I feel like obviously U.S. is probably leading in terms of a lot of like the new ideas and also just like the, the, the grassroots growth. But Australia is a big pocket of interest in our community. So curious to hear your take on how you got involved with, you know, the broader uh, sort of empowering individuals with their own health movement, um, especially, you know, how that reached over uh, across a couple ponds to Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, Australia certainly has that that image of being like fit and healthy. Right. Yeah, you know, we still have our struggles from, you know, statistically we have, you know, childhood obesity issues. There's still, we're still connected to the Western world when it comes to to our health challenges. So I think collectively there's a there's a desire to want to to want to be healthier. If I think if I think about you know your question like how how did I sort of get interested in this? It was it was really a, a personal catalyst. Um, you know, all of us have family. We do. It's the nature of humanity. <laughs> and uh, and uh, a lot of times family members might be going through a particular illness or a struggle. We try to, if we have some insider information, we try to sort of pass that on to somebody. Hey, have you seen a naturopath? Have you considered some sort of detoxification processes? Have you considered changing a diet to this? Have you considered excluding this? But that conversation is not always easy to have. Um, just like we have in a country, we have differing uh, political about what constitutes the right diet for the human species. And even if you sat around and a particular dinner table with probably 10 of the leading integrated functional medicine doctors in the world right now, they're going to have their own spin on everything. And yeah. this, this is what drives essentially a huge amount of confusion in the health and wellness space. And you've got an eager and hungry um, group of people like myself and our community and your community that are like, look, I want to make the best uh, choices for my health. And then you go to the market and it's like, whoa, 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 hang on. Like this guy's saying eat this and you'll live forever. And this guy says if you eat that, you're going to die. And so I think, I think the political when party analogy tens- is great, actually. I think there is definitely yeah. just very dogmatic schools of thinking. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges is is that when you believe in something, you tend not to be open to something else that contradicts that. Right. And that's the challenge with learning because you need to be open to everything in order to fully learn. And you need to actually almost read on the topics that you don't believe in in order to become more rounded and more crafted in your knowledge base of yeah. whatever specific field you're in. But this is more so true with nutrition. So my dad was unwell. He was uh, you know, a typical... Uh, middle age, uh, I call it burnout middle age professional syndrome or, or BOMAPS. Basically, you know, hit like 50, 55 years of age, wasn't eating well, had poor sort of techniques in order to be able to handle stress and overwhelm. And basically, it came to a head chronic fatigue syndrome, depression, anxiety, 
fibromyalgia. He was put on multiple medications because that's just who he trusted, his health to the medical profession, and started to get sicker and sicker and more overweight and sicker. And it was a really sort of dark spiral that lasted like five years. And our passion to want to sort of try influence him was thwarted because we didn't have a lab coat. I didn't have a double degree in like biomedical science and I wasn't an MD. And so he was like, look, I have to trust my doctor. I can't, tr- yeah, I love you guys, but whatever. Right. And that was a huge challenge for us. So we really thought, how can we help because of the, 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 the huge mountain of research out there about nutrition and natural medicine and how effective these therapies can be in many instances, they're better than pharmaceutical medications. Um, yet how is that not available to the everyday person? And, and, and what is this, what, what's happened in that industry in order to, to stop that from reaching people? And so we decided to go and interview a lot of people that we'd been studying and researching, put it together in this documentary and bring it to him and put it on, on the TV because wow. We tend to believe we tend to believe what's on TV, and we right. thought, well, if we could just get this information on TV with doctors and you know high-level people, then then maybe this could be the answer to shifting his his belief system around this and helping him make the changes so that he could get better. And uh, that was how the Food Matters film came about. That's how this whole movement came about. And Thankfully, within three months, he was off his meds, lost 50 pounds, and was back to normal after five years. And it was just like a miracle, really. And he's been better ever since. And uh, it's a huge success for our family. So that's a really personal um, win for us. And, and that's uh, inspired us in, in, into to getting this to more people. Wow. Uh, that's an inspiring story. So how did it go from sort of a... a uh, N equals one project on your dad to, hey, uh, so eventually got distribution, I guess the, the film and the documentary and, and, and sort of a movement was created around it. I'm, I'm actually curious, how did it go from, when was the turning point for you when it was like, hey, we're starting to talk to all these people, we're learning a lot, learning a lot. maybe this knowledge could be disseminated to, you know, tens, of hundreds of millions of people? Yeah, I think it was a, 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 a culmination of taking that, that interest in nutrition plus seeing that success with my dad and then thinking about, well, how many other people are affected by this? Right. You know, at, at any one point in time, I think there's about an estimated 30 million people in the U.S. on SSRI antidepressants or some sort of form of psychotropic medication. Yeah. And I've seen a family member on that medication and that ain't pretty. You know, that is not cool. So if yeah. there's 30 million people taking that, and there are solutions for people to be able to get off that and actually address some of the underlying nutritional deficiencies and potentially some toxicity issues and also some mental, emotional issues they might be going through. There's techniques and strategies in order to be able to do that and it's safe, effective, and cheaper. Why is that not available? Then that, right. that question opens a big can of worms because then you realize, well, it's actually there's this huge economic interest in keeping that alive. But, you know, that's another pathway. But then I think... <laughs> We what ins- what inspired we us? Talk about that. I mean, that's an interesting discussion. We can get there. We yeah. can get. We can yeah. get there. But what 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 I think inspired us to want to take this to a lot of people was that that sense of um, I guess there's that you know there's that altruistic idea that I think all humans have, which is they want to end suffering. Whenever they see suffering, they don't they don't they want to try find a way in order to to to, to uh, 
appease that. Right. You know, that's why, you know, when you see, you know, starving kids in Africa, you know, you can country can raise a hundred million dollars in a couple of days. You know what I mean? Because we don't, we don't like suffering. You know, that's why a lot of people go vegan, um, you know, or they try to eat much more ethical source meats or, right. you know, there's just this, I think collectively as a consciousness, we don't like to see people suffering. So there was that sort of, feeling inside of us like why are people suffering how can we help that what's the most effective medium to reach that those people and film just became an obvious choice and and um yeah and then we sought out distribution and just took it step by step and it continued to to reach more and more people which is just you know such something we're super grateful for and happy yeah. to do every day even when i'm not feeling 100 percent, as you probably tell <laughs> today yeah no um so yeah, James is apparently he's got the flu, but it looks like it's beautiful weather down in in Australia. So you look you look super bright. It's the middle and of winter. It's, <laughs> it's a brutal winter, but yeah, yeah. That's funny because like it's it's a summer for us in the northern hemisphere, and it is it was like pretty foggy this morning. So if that's winter, we'll, we'll be great. <laughs> um, I think it's always interesting that um, so I came from a computer science background, and I think. There just seems to be a different level of, I suppose, respect or, or or obedience to authority when it comes to pharmaceuticals. But when you think about it from a systems perspective, a compound into your digestive system through a pharmaceutical pill, why is that any different than foods that one consume as an input on a daily basis? And I think that yeah, like that yeah. flipped the button for me where I was like, all of these things are just inputs into the digestive tract. And and if you look back in the history of medicine, uh, you know, Hippocrates, you know, the, the, per, you know, mm. the, the oath that all, mm. that all doctors say, you know, we do no harm. You know, also one of his best quotes was like, medicine is food and, and, and food is thy medicine, which is interesting because I think a lot of what your thesis in food matters is that, yeah, the daily inputs of what we put into our body uh, very much do affect our performance and our health. And because we do it on such a consistent daily basis, it's almost just as important, if not more important than, a, you know, than a pharmaceutical routine. Um, why do you mm. think that I'm actually curious from your perspective, as, as you talk about food as an interesting lever, you know, I, I think there are the sort of old school, you know, folks like your dad who are like, who are you to, you know, why do you think you're smarter than my doctor who's been trained in all this medical school? What is your, what is your response to that? I mean, I think it's like, uh, you know, I, we've all had our experiences in this community of self-educating, self-learning, you know, learning and like measuring all the biometrics mm -hmm. ourselves to get a real understanding of it. Uh, what has your experience been in terms of responding to that kind of critique? Well, I, I, I sort of love that critique because my response to that is, how's that working for you? You know, how's right. your how's your fast food diet working for you? How are you feeling? You know, right. How's your uh, how's your sort of unconscious processed food laden diet working for you? Right. And like, you know, tell me the truth. Like, how's that working for humanity? Like, how is it working? It ain't working. You know, right. that's clear. Yeah. Then you look at you look at pockets of this world where you have more traditional people eating a more traditional diet. How's that working for them? Great. You know, they don't have the same levels of chronic disease that we have in our society. But if I think back to this idea that you just said about inputs, measuring inputs, 
and how that affects the body and how like a drug is an input into the body. Right. Uh, a nutrient or a vitamin is an input into the body. A, a, a food is an input into the body. Um, you know, breath and thoughts are inputs into the body. They can affect yep. biochemistry in the body. There's so much yeah. research on that now. Like 15, 15 minutes of meditation can make your blood more alkaline. I mean, right. we have all the data now to show us that there's so much you can do to change your inner ecosystem. Yeah, and but I then there's a theory. Actually, I don't. It's like no longer like fuzzy. Like, hey, this is intuitive. Like ancient wisdom. I think sure some of it might have been inspired from like ancient wisdom, but like, hey, like this is actually being shown in clinical trials. Like this is not some BS yeah. woo woo stuff. Yeah. Like, hey, you're seeing measurable differences. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think you know underlying that there's a core sort of sort of. Uh, uh, thesis that that exists in the in this natural health sort of world and it was taught to me by a lady called Charlotte Gerson her father was Dr. Max Gerson and he got what well, was suspected poisoned by really some some pharmaceutical interests was <laughs> was how they believe he was killed yeah. uh, because he suggested that and this was radical I mean there's some been some people throughout history that have made some radical suggestions, which are now not so radical. Like one of the best examples of this is Linus Pauling, right? Two Nobel Prizes. The only person to win two unshared Nobel Prizes in history, one for chemistry and one for peace. When he started hitting about 70 years of age, he started to get into medicine. He was just interested in it. He's like, I'm right. going to get into medicine. Right. And he started to come up with this idea that there's a currency that the body deals with and it's called nutrients, vitamins, minerals, etc. Right. And he said, he had a theory that if somebody is unwell or if somebody is sick or has a compromised immune system, that a certain nutrient could help with that. And so he was the first to suggest, and this was radical at the time, and he got bashed by the medical profession. He was the first to suggest that vitamin C could help reduce the severity and length of a common cold. Right. And they were like, you cannot say that. That is absolutely you're out of your league you know you shouldn't be playing in this realm we're doctors and you're a scientist get out right. you know now we're, we're you know we're 30 50 years later 50 years later and it's common sense everyone knows that vitamin c as a nutrient can help you know reduce that one of the things um that this other theory i'm getting to now is this concept around uh, chronic disease that there is with most chronic diseases and it depends on the disease there is an underlying um root cause according to this philosophy and this was this Max Gerson gentleman who discovered this and his daughter Charlotte who sort of continued the legacy she's now 96 and lives in Italy somewhere mm. um, prob probably escaping assassination no just joking and uh, and he suggested that for cancer in particular and most chronic illness that it was a combination of deficiency and toxicity so those two things. So anytime you have something that's going on, on in the body, there's generally a component of a, a, a toxicity component and a deficiency component. So you might have uh, received toxins from the environment if you own a dry cleaning mat or if you use a lot of toxic chemicals or if you eat a lot of toxic food or food additives or you put new carpet in your house and it's off-gassing or if you're using those Glade room sprays that automatically go every few seconds. I mean, all these toxins were just surrounded by toxins. I mean, post-World War II, I mean, there was a statistic about three years ago that said we'd released about 44,000 different man-made chemicals into the environment since World War II. I mean, this is recent history. Now that number's up to about 70-odd thousand. All these chemicals, be it in the plastic saran wrap we use on our food, to the ink that's printed on the docket when you go to the supermarket, impact our bodily. Horm hormonally, they impact 
our our body's ability to to maintain homeostasis and function normally. So when you have that element of toxicity, and then you combine it with a nutrient deficiency. So if you're eating foods that are devoid in nutrients, so if you're eating too much cooked food, you're eating too much fast food, or you're eating food where the nutrients have been adulterated. So take something that is just considered looks the same on the outside, a piece of meat over here, just to use meat as an example, just to so to give the you know the vegans and the non-vegans just to open them up a little bit here, just as a case example. This is why meat is actually so toxic to people but how it let's just before i get make any claims here <laughs> there's a piece of meat over here right okay and this piece of this piece of meat has come from an animal that's been fed genetically modified corn wheat and soy and because that animal's been fed corn wheat and soy it gets sick because that diet it was never meant to eat so then they give it antibiotics so you've got a sick cow on antibiotics and we're going to got this piece of meat here and when we have that piece of meat and we analyze it it's high in omega-9 and low in omega-3. And that fatty acid ratio means that it causes inflammation in the body. Right. Inflammation in the body can lead systemically to many other chronic diseases depending on your particular genetic weakness. This piece of meat over here, say, is from maybe a wild animal or even the same animal. It's been eating grass if it's a ruminant animal or it's been eating um, whatever it eats as an animal naturally living in its environment. It's healthy. It hasn't suffered. It hasn't been given any medication. It hasn't been put into like some feedlot um, situation. This uh, product over here is high in omega-3, lower in omega-9, and it, it, it promotes an anti-inflammation effect in the body. So it's the same product, totally different. Right. But most of the world's eating this toxic product and they're not eating this healthy product. So when you eat foods that are nutrient deficient, that are over toxic you develop nutrient deficiencies and toxicity in the body and that can lead to not even talking about chronic disease you know if you're more our age but still people experience chronic disease at this age but things like brain fog indigestion you know uh rashes right. um, psoriasis things like that like fogginess not being able to sleep well waking up really groggy having poor hormone cortisol levels and relationship to melatonin and sleep all these things that can get out of whack through that toxicity and deficiency. So to me, this is um, this is basic knowledge that should be understood by every human, but it's not something that's really high on the priority list until we get sick, if you know what I mean. I, I, yes, I think now people finally realize, hey, we can feel much better, be a lot more productive at work on the enhancement side. But I think maybe this is overly stretching it, but I think there's more and more people, especially within like the transhumanist sort of living forever crowd, in, especially in Silicon Valley, where it's like, hey, we might be able to escape the uh, escape velocity for 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 life, and the, and that's the notion that if we can extend our life by a year in within a year, then maybe we can outpace uh, uh, the fact that we might need to die. So I think that that might be on the extreme side, but I think most people realize that hey, we can. We, we have an intuitive feeling that, hey, by what we eat, what we do, by exercising, we can do and feel better on a daily basis, get more out of what out of our days, that I think this is a generation that is a lot more proactive on their health, whereas I would say previous generations are very reactive. I think partly due to the notion of, hey, we might be able to live forever, but also I think partly we actually have a lot more tools now to actually measure on a day-to-day -day basis our biometrics. So... 
I, uh, one example that I like to make is that, you know, we have all these like footstep tracking devices now, but if 10 years ago we were talking about footstep tracking, it would have been like, hey, are you training for the Olympics? Why are you tracking your, tracking your footsteps? Uh, now everyone is tracking their footsteps. Like if we, even if we want to or not, it's just part of our jewelry now. And I think biohackers right now are tracking their blood glucose, their blood ketones, tracking all these like their metabolic panel, you know, very proactively. And I think with, you know, the R&D developments of like optical glucometers into your Apple Watch where you can just get your blood sugar without, without having to get your blood pricked. Maybe you get your ketone levels. Maybe you get all of these things continuously. Now we can actually not just sort of intuitively feel better. We can actually say, hey, I don't even need to believe if I feel better or not. I can look at the data. And I think we're a data-driven generation as well. So I think by a, I think with those two combinations, I think it's like we're finally no longer needing to believe in you know some ancient tradition or you know cultural uh, tradition and be like, hey, we can actually look at the data and actually one feel better and two like the numbers show it. Yeah, I, you know, and I think what's led to this technological sort of advancement in this space is that, you know, historically, if you look at humanity, health is something we always took for granted. Like if you try go yeah. back, like I'm talking probably like three or five thousand years ago, right? Indigenous right. people, health, you know, the main threat to our survival was not chronic degenerative disease. It was like right. a tiger or it was like an ecological disaster, some sort of storm right. or something, you know, it was real. Right. Or, you know, a, a blood loss at birth, some sort of trauma, you know, like an incident, right. you know. And right. so we never had to think about health from that perspective. Then as we've evolved um, to where we're at now, basically we've got – you can have friends in your circle of friends that drop dead from a heart attack. And that's their right. first symptom. I mean 50% of people who die of a heart attack of heart disease, their first symptom is death. And heart okay, disease is the biggest killer in the modern world, right? So right. when you start to see that and then you start to see, you know, I had a, a friend of mine who, who I, you know, really respected deeply um, and she passed away of cancer, you know, a couple of years ago now. Um, and she was in her late 20s, early 30s. You know, you start to see this more. You see kids with autism. You see friends diagnosed with cancer. I mean, so right now our awareness about wanting to take action is 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 based really on twofold. One fear of chronic degenerative disease although that's not a not huge for most 28 year old males with a beard and a man right. bum they're like you know i'm right. invincible i don't care about that <laughs> but they're like how can i optimize performance and I, I, the reason yeah. why i think optimized performance is such an important topic right now is because we're starting to realize that the human experience is such well this is my belief anyway the human experience is such a precious gift right you know and as you start to get that perspective on life where you know, being able to have the experience of being human, being able to make an impact, to to have a startup and and bring something exciting to the world, or to help change how the world does X, or to help bring push this forward, or to help create something, you need to be coming from a place of abundance, abundant energy, abundant mindset, abundant you know in all areas of your life. You can't do that if you're you know, 30, 50 pounds overweight. You can't do that yep. if your blood sugar is constantly going up and down, which causes massive mood swings and you're flipping out right. at people, then half of your team leave because they're like, oh my God, I'm working for a psychopath. You know, right. you can't, you can't, if you're not functioning at a high level, you're not able to make an impact anymore. And because the barrier to entry in so many different markets has dropped 
through the floor. I mean, you know, eight, ten years ago to make a documentary, you know, you either had to be Michael Moore or an Emmy Award winning documentary filmmaker. Now, if you've got a camera and a YouTube channel or something, you can reach the world. You know, so yep. because that has happened, we're essentially living in a much more co-op cooperative competitive landscape and it's the person really i'm talking more to your perspective of biohacking it's the person who can be the most effective the most efficient with their energy with their time with their mental aptitude with how their emotional intelligence is that's going to be able to have the biggest impact and the biggest level of service in this world and that's why i think biohacking is such 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 an important topic because if you start to develop you know, from a spiritual sense, a third person awareness about your behavior. So you're, as you start to get more into, I, I think as you get more into esoteric practices like meditation and so forth, you become more aware of your behavior, of your influence, of your capability and your ability to, 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 to be more conscious about the way that you, you, you go about interpersonal communication or communication with your son or a child or an animal or whatever. As you develop that third person awareness, you start to catch yourself. And when you catch yourself doing it, you're like, whoa, I just like overreacted then, or I said this and I didn't mean that. You start right. to think, well, why did I do that? And then you start to look at science behind the real reason why people have anxiety or panic attacks, right? And I interviewed a doctor called Dr. Alan Christensen the other day, and he was all this amazing research. I mean, so much amazing research. Even that food matters a bit, but not so much compared to managing your hormones and your stress and your sleep. But one of the things he touched on was that um, the underlying, what happens when someone has a panic attack or anxiety or an outburst or something is there's a rapid uh, drop in blood sugar at that moment. You know, I'm not talking about if you measure your glucose in the morning, measure it at night, oh, it's stable, it's fine. No, I'm talking there's a micro like bang drop. Hmm. And leads to anxiety or panic attack or an outburst or like anger or aggression. These are sort of things that can get you into trouble in life. These are sort of things that can mess up your life experience, right? Did he have an, did he have an opinion whether that was, that was causative or was that a, like a cause or a symptom? He says, what he, what? He th well, he thinks that, the sh yeah, I said chicken and egg, what's going on here? And <laughs> yeah. he said, well, yeah. no, the, he said the blood sugar drop is the cause of, of the change in the mental state the mental state because think about what the brain needs fat water and glucose so right. if you've got good fats and water which most people don't have they're not hydrated enough they're not getting enough good fat which is you know this organ is so important you need fat you need water you need not to aggravate it as well which means right. don't aggravate your gut because there's brain like neurons in your gut that are that are the same neurons that are in your brain and mm -hmm. that when you eat foods that aggravate your gut it can make you feel foggy and out of out of sorts that's why you know, I've met people that say I gave up, I gave up bread, and I became a successful entrepreneur. And they 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 put those two together. You know, I've met one of the I've met one of the best. I'm, I'm friends with one of the best tennis players in the world. Um, he's taking a six month hiatus right now. He gave up gluten, changed his diet, and in six months became number one in the world and won Wimbledon and held that position oh. for like four years. And he says categorically it was down to making that minute shift in the diet because it changes your mind. And most of right. life is a mental game, you know, tennis, sport, you have to be good at what you do, but, yeah. you know, most of life is being sharp with, within your own cranium, so to speak, on, on, a, on a high percentage of the time. But if you're experiencing right. 
blood sugar issues, which cause you to go into panic attack or outbursts or things like this, what impression is that going to give to people around you, to a right. VC board or to investors? So they're going to be like, I'm not working with this lunatic, you know, who is this right. crazy guy? So to me, control over this faculty, this human faculty, the body, the mind, our physiology is such a critical component to being and effective at whatever you do, whether it's a father or a mother or an entrepreneur or whatever. And I think that's why biohacking has become such a big topic right now because yeah. people want control in an, in, an, in an uncontrolled landscape, in an uncertain landscape where there's so much variables out there in the world. There's like pollution and toxicity and foods and fast food companies and pharmaceutical companies all vying for your attention. And you've, we've got to almost just shut that out and go, what is most important now for, for, for me and how can I improve who I am on a day-to-day -day basis so I can be more effective at my craft, whatever that is. I'm actually curious because you touched upon no bread and that probably rings a lot of bells to folks that are, I know it, our listeners as well as broader Silicon Valley, a lot of people are talking about trying ketogenic diets, low-carb, high-fat diets, and that's so, that's very related to intermittent fasting where yeah. uh, we drain our carbohydrate or glycogen stores and elevate our ketone levels. And you're touching upon, and I think that's interesting from a theory perspective around anxiety and panic attacks where if you have drops in blood sugar, well, the brain needs either glucose or ketones as, as a fuel. And if we're not, if, if it's usually if you are not fasted or fat adapted, you're not going to generate ketones that quickly. So if you just have a big drop in glucose, yeah, your, your brain's going to, I guess, kind of freak out because it makes sense because it doesn't have any fuel. It doesn't have any ketones or glucose to burn. Um, I'm curious, given your ex experience, uh, um, we've seen the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting as big parts of our community, really booing the growth of our community. I'm, I'm curious. Um, what you've seen in 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 in, in Australia and in your, your your audience around these two sort of macro broader trends here? Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely a, a big trend. I think it's a strong trend, and I think it's effective because it's um, essentially a um, it's the antithesis of what is currently happening out there so and and when you do that you create change and you create an effect in the body which can be really positive and i think the you know intermittent fasting training the body to burn fat these are things that are really powerful and that can help you um, improve brain function help you improve your energy levels help you improve your effectiveness as a human help you improve your immunity as well um but i think i am a little bit more of a moderate, I would say, when it comes to this sort of dietary philosophy. And the, and the reason being is that I think when you do a change of diet, you get what's called a honeymoon period, right? You're like, oh my God. Well, in between you get this like, this is tough, this is tough. Then you get this honeymoon period where you're like, this is it. This is what I'm meant to be doing. I feel great. And people a lot of the time get this when they go from a standard American diet or a standard Australian diet onto say X diet, paleo, ketogenic, um, uh, raw vegan or whatever, there's this, all of them will experience after a, few, a week or two, this amazing feeling. And then for quite an extended period of time, two or three months, re really good feelings. And I call this the honeymoon effect, right? And then after that, there'll be some minor adjustments that maybe need to be made. And I think what happens with all of those, say three elements, paleo, uh, raw food or ketogenic is that, um, we tend to, after a while, will the best result will we 
will be when we sort of find that balance between what our, what our personal genealogy or gene type needs, because I think it's important to understand our genes. Like, where are we from, from a hereditary perspective? How has our particular genetic form evolved over the past 8, 10, 12 generations, for instance? And what have those people eaten? And I think that really brings in a huge element of biochemical individuality into it. That's why I think the idea of a one diet fitting all doesn't work. The idea of moving from a diet that's generally not good to a better diet works for everybody. I mean, for most people, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you go yeah. from eating, you know, in and out burger and just going to the, that, though. Go, go into the, <laughs> go into the junk food aisle of Ralph's and then all of a sudden you go and eat, you do a raw food or a juice cleanse or you go on a ketogenic intermittent fasting or if, or if you, you know, you're going to just be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I feel unbelievable. But I think long term, there's elements of each of those diets that have an important place. And sure. what happens is when you start to have that positive experience and then start to look at your genealogy, your biochemical levels of individuality, what do you need, what have you personally adapted to eat, and where do you live, what's your climate like, then you start to devise something that's a lot more tailored to you. Be spoke to <coughs> you. Excuse me. No, I, I, think, I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that I hope that but you know as part of broader biohacking is not just manipulating your inputs but actually measuring your biometrics right like biohacking to me is like the engineering mindset on the human platform and again like you, you know if i eat a piece of bread my blood glucose is going to react very differently to yours perhaps yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're the same maybe, maybe but maybe probably not right and i think like like the rules of thumb for a ketogenic diet right like eat less than 20 grams of net carbs well that's kind of uh rule of thumb but that 20 grams in that carbs might do a lot different to my blood sugar and my blood insulin than someone else's totally. I think ultimately yeah. I, and I agree exactly what you're saying which yeah. is you know use different diets routines as frameworks yeah. at the end of the day we're gonna have variation right like like just as much as environment uh a, a big input into our uh outcomes our genes are different right like there are you know mm -hmm. I'm a slow caffeine metabolizer. You might yep. be a fast caffeine metabolizer. Totally. I mean, that's yep. a very just basic one, but I think yep. it's well understood that the same diet for different people are going to have different outcomes. Totally. So a lot of these things, I think, are rule of thumbs. I think we can definitely improve on like the junk food, you know, consumer packaged good, you know, Cheerio diet or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Not that yeah. I hate on Cheerios, but like, you know, yeah. the, the packaged food industry, yeah. all these things I think you're saying is right. I think they're definitely step functions better than status quo. But I think to like throw a true nirvana, if you will, is yes, measuring everything for yourself. And and I also think yeah. you know true nirvana, if if that 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 concept, <laughs> you know, that, that's a great concept. Yeah. I, I I want that. Uh, yeah. True nirvana also I think involves a certain element of nutritional nature based philosophy. And I think that you know we can get stuck in this mindset of like we need to have this and this important this works here and I need this at this level. But then I also love looking at all right, let's look at blue zones. I love this because it really brings everything back to ground base level. These are pockets of people that are the longest lived people in the world. Sicilians, Abkhazians, Hunzans, Okinawans. Um, there's a, a handful of different tribes all around the world and how they eat. What is so surprising is that there is not really much strong correlation between their diets, which is confusing right. as hell because it's like, what? No. I just want them to all eat the same thing, then it's easy, then we can all just eat that. And even yeah. look at different types of people uh, and different uh, different uh, tribes. I mean, look at um, 
look at your um, Inuits, right? High fat, high animal flesh consumption, then look at more, you know, say a Polynesian tribe living in the remote island of Tikopia in the Pacific, roots, tubers, more carbohydrates, a little bit of fish, you know, it's like, whoa, so it's like, whoa, 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 hang on a second, what's going on here? But I think there is a lot to be said about finding the similarities in those diets, but also looking at where where have you evolved from? Are you much more of a northern latitude European that maybe has a strong history of cultured um, kefirs and things like that and, and they right. work for you and maybe you have um, more fermented traditional ancient grains in your diet and that works for you? Uh, are you from more of a tropical Polynesian lineage where, you know, and, and that's why I think you need to sort of, we can't get a diet book that comes off the shelf and go, boom, that's from me. We really need to do our own work and we need to yep. p- pick something to start with, evolve from there. But I think we have to get back to nature-based philosophy because the best studies are the people that have been doing this automatically for a long time. And I think when you start to look at that research, you realize that food inputs, outputs, very important the non-food elements are equally as important, potentially even more important. And there are a lot of the things we're ignoring these days. So, I mean, sleep's getting a lot more attention now, which is great. But, you know, uh, I was speaking to Sean Stevenson the other day. He wrote Sleep Smarter. And in his research, he discovered that the World Health Organization had listed shift working as a class three, I think it was class three, carcinogen. It's like, whoa, hang on a second. So people who work at night, who have disrupted sleep patterns, that's now considered a carcinogen. Why? Because they're not making proper melatonin. They're not sleeping when it's dark. They're not in a circadian rhythm with the earth, which means they're probably not barefoot watching the sunset in the morning after seven, six, eight hours of sleep. No, they're just getting to sleep. You know, So those elements, the non-food elements, what about other non-food elements like the Sicilians, for instance? Do you think that their lunch is a quick 30-minute affair or do you think it's a two-hour-long lunch and they sit down with family and friends? And sure, they, they drink wine every day and they probably have coffee and bread in the morning. I mean, this is the most – that blue zone for me is the biggest outlier because if I look at their diet, I'm like, that's not an ideal diet for the human species. Yet right. they've got plenty of centarians and they're healthy and they're happy. So it's like, right. well, so look at what are their non-food elements – they're right. outside. Maybe those are over, over, yeah, those are overpowering the diet component. Compl- complementing yeah. it, you know, but they right. still have a lot of fresh vegetables. They have a lot of, you know, healthy fats, things like sardines, things like that, really good for the brain health. They have like, you know, wine, fermented foods. I mean, traditionally fermented beverages and foods have been part of our culture for as long as we've been sort of farmer, hunter, gatherers, even before that really with mead, fermented honey. Um, so why aren't we having those foods in our diet anymore? Like those traditional fermented foods that have been a mainstay. Every every one of those cultures has fermented foods, and like right. we we have, you know, ketchup well, now. We're trying to we're, we're trying to reinstall it with probiotics, right? Yeah, but, but okay, just eating for, yeah, if you just eat the fermented stuff, I mean, that's like that's your probiotic, right? Totally, there. exactly. And think, yeah. but think about all the things that were fermented that are now no longer fermented. So ketchup that people use on French fries used to be fermented tomatoes. Like now it's now it's uh, tomato very sugary concentrate high fructose corn exactly but it used to be fermented tomatoes Um, things like chutneys uh, pickled vegetables 
um, sauerkraut, kimchi, kefirs, kombuchas. I mean, these I'm are fasting today. You're making me hungry. <laughs> they're making <laughs> they're making yeah. a revival, and so they should because they've always been a part of our diet historically. So to me, I think the more we can use a dietary intervention like a ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting or juice fasting or cleansing or water fasting. I mean, three days on water, you can start to regenerate stem cells. Um, you can start to really change your body. Dr. Loda. stem cell data, but I know there's strong data on immune system. Yeah, immune system. Uh, yeah. Uh, human growth hormone can go up. You know, stem cells maybe take longer than three days. There's there's different studies out there. I know yes, Dr. HGH, yeah, HGH, HGH rises at day two. Yeah. Okay, now look at that from a nature-based philosophy perspective. What happens when an animal's sick? You tell me, Jeff. Yeah, they don't eat. They fast, essentially. Oh, my God. What do we do when we're sick? We go to a hospital and eat shit food. I mean, come on. This is just like so unbelievable. And, and, and to me, that's why I think we need to work nutrition with the head and the heart. And we use the head to go, hang on, this is wrong. I need to do something. I need to do intermittent fasting. I need to measure these inputs. I need to do this. And you get the change. You're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But then you also need the other component of what have we done as a, as, a, as a species, how have we evolved on planet Earth? How's our dietary philosophy evolved? Where am I from? Is my father Irish and British or my Polynesian or my Japanese or I'm Hawaiian? How is that? Could that potentially influence me? Do I need to be introducing more of that? Because you take a Japanese woman in Japan eating a traditional Japanese diet and they have one of the lowest incidences of breast cancer in the world. You implant that Japanese person into America and they start eating the American diet. Their rate of getting yeah. breast cancer goes up so it's like so there is a genetic and a localization and an understanding of how we've evolved to eat as a species that we really need to be taking a lot more care and attention to and i think that's the future of nutrition is actually looking forward and going back it's like david wolf says you know the most the, the biggest advancements that are going to happen in the in the world are going to be stone age technology that's brought into the future you know what i mean so i think this is where you know analyzing your DNA helps you to determine more of who you are and where you're from and how your body reacts to different stimuli or food inputs. That's just telling you your genetic lineage. We've just got a modern tool in order to be able to do that. So to me, this is this is the future of nutrition. This is the future of health. No, I, I want to reflect on that. I think you bring up really good points. So nutrigenomics, right? How, do, how does our genetics apply to our nutrition? And I think um, that, uh, I mean, if you actually look at like, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the nutrition clinical trials are so conflicting. There's not a lot of consensus. If you just look at, there's just as much dogma around ketogenic diet being the best thing ever. And you have other people being like, no, like low fat is the best thing ever. And maybe everyone's right. And it just, it, it, in some sense, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's different people have different responses and for better or for worse, most of the clinical trial data, uh, is done in America. That's where most of the funding is. And most of the population are Caucasian, uh, usually men, because women have a lot of variants with you know, hormone cycles. So researchers tend to focus on men. So you're focused on like essentially white men in a, in a, in a reasonable age demographic as being the primary sort of population being studied. And for better or for worse, I mean, that is just, that is just, the facts yeah and, and 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 as you're saying like that kind of genetic similarity is going to be very different in terms of how does that data apply towards uh you know an Okinawan population or Inuit population yeah yeah right? and I think it's like yeah the Sicilian example I think 
I think that's been like a lot of like the if you look at Twitter, there's so many, so many. I think culture or like yeah, like political parties around nutrition. Where it's like, no, look at Sicilian diet. Yeah. They eat yeah. wine, yeah. They eat bread. Yeah. They're awesome. And then yeah. you'd be like, oh, Inuits are awesome. They just eat yeah. fat and <laughs> yeah. whale meat, and they're awesome. And everyone's just like arguing about like, hey, this is my data set. This is your data set. Everyone's just like not talking to each other. And I think it's like, well, I think there's truth in both, right? Like. Totally, totally, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, I think. Which, like which is partly. more confusing, but then I think one of the things I like to talk about, Jeff, is that I like to really encourage people to divorce nutritional dogma because I believe as we become too attached to an ideal or an ideology, we become, you know, more, more and more closed off and we miss, yeah. I mean, we miss stuff. I mean, this yeah. is, and this is also the, the idea behind, you know, the uh, 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 reticular activating system. You know, when you buy a red Ferrari, all you see is red Ferraris. You know, before that, you didn't see it. So what happens is we, we are, as humans, you know, any PD work, professional development work, you realize we're meaning-making machines. We make meaning right. and purpose out of whatever we want to make meaning and purpose out of. Right. And in diet, it's true for, for, for that. And the problem is, is that I think we need to move from the dogma of high-carb, low-fat, low fat, high carb, high fat, you know, ketogenic, lacto ovo, vegetarian, breatharian, you know, right. whatever, into being this idea of more of a qualitarian. And why I like this is that I think that one of the things that gets missed in a lot of these studies is that we're not looking at the quality of something. So if people go, well, if m m people were consuming meat, get sicker at this level, and it's like, well, hang on, what type of meat were they eating? Like we said yeah, before. There's a lot of salties, yeah. It was a sick yeah. meat. Or was it healthy meat? Was it a, 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 a ruminant, domesticated animal? Or was it a wild animal that was, was hunted? You know, what was it? You look at salmon, you got farm salmon and you got wild salmon. They're, they're not the same animal at all, you know. Yeah, the omega-3 content is very different. I think I think you, uh, you touched upon that earlier. Yeah, yeah like, and it just it's it's different in terms of nutrition quality. Totally. Like, and, I, like, and same, you, with, yeah. same with grains, though, as well. This is the perfect example here. Like, I'm doing a lot of work on grains right now. We're doing a third documentary. So we did Food Matters and Hunger for Change, working on a third film. It's going to have a lot of mind component to it. But we're doing a bit of a deep dive at one part of the film on wheat because it's just, you know, a, you know, as one of the guys says in the film, this is this is the ringleader of all the grains. You know what I mean? And the thing about wheat, and the thing about most foods that we're eating today, is they've changed a lot in the last fifty years. You know, it used to be a two, three meter high stalk, a wild grass. Now it's a very short, um, stocky variety, and it's called what William Davis Davis said. It's like a it's a semi dwarf, um, a semi dwarf variety now of wheat. But what's happened is that modern Monsanto? yeah that modern wheat well actually this was actually made with techniques that predated genetic modification so they were actually just splicing stuff in and like trying to find different varieties through really rudimentary processes and it's a lot more dangerous actually according to davis than genetic modification because you can actually with gm gm modification you can dial up certain uh characteristics but with this we couldn't so, precisely. Sure. Yeah. so we've developed this really short stocky wheat but then it's also resistant to um, the use of these pesticides so they can be sprayed more and they even spray pesticides as a desiccant to help dry it so it doesn't go moldy before they harvest it so you look at the glycophosphate which is a, 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 um, a, a pesticide residue in food in wheat has gone up like through the charts over the years so is the wheat cause an issue is it the gluten or is it that it's got these huge amounts of pesticide residues in there now is it both probably is both but then you've got cultures that have traditional grains ancient grains they're fermented like all grains right. have been over time right. and they're eating them 
and they're thriving and they're not getting sick. So maybe it's not the grains. Maybe it's what we've done to it as well. So to me, there's so many layers in this. And when you say wheat's bad or bread's bad, it's like, well, it's super coarse. Yeah, 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 it's coarse. It's coarse. And I think there's so many different levels, which is why this idea of being a qualitarian, it's like, well, is cheese good or bad? Well, great cheese can be okay at some levels. Are, are you dairy intolerant and do you not do well? Well, don't eat it then, you know what I mean? You know, it's, you know there's, there's, so many, there's so many gray areas and I think that's why developing a real sense of biochemical awareness and, and, and really acknowledging your individuality and using a particular dietary lineage as a framework in order to be able to build upon is the starting point for your nutrition journey and that will help you evolve faster than being stuck with something. Test, measure, test, measure, test, measure and be aware and and have a foot in the past a foot in understanding where you're from and i think that'll serve 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 you really well yeah and i think i want to touch on that i think that the the like the like the the historical sort of the nature part i think it's interesting right like uh yeah nature is a good like range finder right like we evolved in this particular way and we're optimized for our environment in some way. So like, yeah, you know, nature or evolution is not perfect, right? Yeah. But yeah. It's, 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 it's a pretty good algorithm. We'll yeah. put it that way. <laughs> so like, like that, that should be like a pretty, I think it's a good, good way to think about it, right? Like, you know, we've evolved to go through feasts and famine situations. We're not constantly eating, right? So maybe intermittent fasting is like a relatively in the right range of what we should be closer to be doing, right? So I think, mm-hmm. yep. I, I, I think that's exactly, I think how you talk about like nature, like, yeah, nature should be a pretty good range finder to get a sense of where in, in the zone should we tweak uh, for our own like personal, sort of our bespoke uh, protocol. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Yeah. So, what what are the exciting projects that you're working on? So, it sounds like you're teasing a little bit into the in, into the third documentary. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, what other you know projects do you have going on as we as we wrap up here? Sort of, you know, three key projects right now. Um, we've got our, our streaming TV channel, which is just something we're putting a lot of effort and energy into. It's essentially a Netflix for health and wellness. So we have documentaries, um, you know, meditation, yoga, exercise classes. We have uh, a lot of expert interviews in there and. Also guided programs. We've just launched like a 10-day sleep and stress program. We've got like a 21-day gluten-free program. So different guided programs in there that people can follow. And that's a big focus for us. And uh, launching with Amazon Prime soon and on Apple, on their platforms and everything. So that's that's uh, something that excites me because I think education is really the starting point. And like what you're doing with this podcast, if you're not aware, you can't tweak. You know, you can't can't change you can't measure you can't evolve you know? and so awareness is the ultimate uh first step and we've always had that you know going back to history we've always had that it's the fireside chats it's the it's the grandfather that's passing down his knowledge now we just lock up old people in old folks homes and we don't we don't communicate to our neighbors so we, we need to get right. our information from somewhere and look yeah. cnn and fox news are not ideal sources of of information gathering so that's why we sort of created it a separate channel then also because you have to be conscious about what you feed your brain with. I mean, you turn on the news and I guarantee no matter what time you turn the news on, it's going to be death, pain, fire, destruction, terrorism, or politics. And like, what is that actually doing for you? Like how nothing. I mean, honestly, does it, do you need to know all this superfluous information? Like even yeah, on, this ch- yeah. I, I turn on the news here and I've got a young child in the house. So thankfully my wife is like no news, which has been great actually the last sort of few years. It's been such a detox for my brain. But this person got stabbed here. This Amber Alert, this child's missing. It's like, okay, 
I don't really need to know that. Sure, I feel empathy for them, and yeah, it's not it's nice. Sad, but it's, it's like, unfortunate, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't affect your day to day. No. So rule that out and input good stuff in. So that's my biggest movement that we focus on. Next, we're doing another film. You know, that's super exciting. I really want to move nutrition forward and beyond nutrition. You know, I want to look a lot at what's happening in the breath work space, cold exposure space, mental rehearsal space. Um, these sort of things are getting more and more on the radar now. And I think that when you've got people that are able to rebuild their spine with their mind, then you're like, whoa, how does that happen? You know, and then because it's just like there's some stuff happening out there that or even simple breathwork processes that can like increase the oxygenation of your brainstem and, and things that can cross the blood brain barrier. Like there's so much that's to be explored there. So we're going to go a lot into that. And but mental rehearsal is a big one, I think, like the esoterical words of visualization and manifestation and that, but, you know, stop that, like mental rehearsal. This is a tool that everybody uses, you know, Tiger Woods, he's not in a great spot now, but Tiger Woods used mental rehearsal, you know, uh, you know, Carl Lewis used it, Jim Carrey used it, all these people used it and they got, they got a certain result in their life. Why aren't we using that more? Because I don't know, we just think it's woo woo, but there's more and more science and data supporting it now. So I want to. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah, it could be selection bias. Maybe that's the only reason why we hear about them is because they won and their woo woo kind of worked, or it's yeah. actually something there. Yeah. But I think regardless, it, it's worth looking into, and I think that's right. Like all the best athletes do talk about like visualizing their moves, visualizing yeah. their their play. Yeah. So yeah. I, th there seems to be something there. Yeah, and so whatever it is that you're doing. Um, that, that how can you apply that in your in your particular field and then there's a third thing we're doing we're working on a um, it's a bit of a super secret um, hydration product right now huh. okay. and um, you know I've done a lot of research in that space over the last year and a half and you know hydration is actually so important right but really when you sweat or when you're dehydrated you need to just drink your sweat minus the toxins so what is sweat? I mean, it's salty water. So yeah, we need salty water. That's great, right? But then what's the most effective way to deliver that to your cells so that you have proper hydration? And it's not Gatorade. It's not even Vega. It's not Scratch. It's not all, all these other brands. I'm not saying brands to chicken them, but they're just products that have been manufactured in a lab. They've created electrolyte minerals in a lab, basically, in a chemical environment. And to me, the body can't work with that i mean we need to go back to what are the most natural sources of that we found some pretty unique ingredients in order to be able to bring that to the world so yeah so that's that's another project well, and uh yeah sure, sure. Like a lot on your plate but all very exciting yeah yeah it is it's it excites me and drives me every day to get out of bed even when i'm not feeling 100 like today <laughs> but yeah no, it's, no awesome i mean i think i think absolutely i think I think the cornerstone is that I think a big part is educating and bringing you know more and more people up to speed because I think, um, I, I I think I've just seen it with myself and just our community and it sounds like there's more and more people that are, are excited to learn and and learn from better and better sources that aren't as conflicting. I I like the attitude that you bring, which is like, hey, I'm not gonna t you know tell you dogma. Like yes, there's like certain frameworks that one should consider, but at the end of the day, it needs to be bespoken. I think that's absolutely. Um, you know, you know, you know what I think personally as well. Yeah, cool. Right? I'm like, glad, you, good, glad you agree. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's too many people that are saying, "Hey, do this magical ABC plan, and you're gonna lose a lot of weight and live forever." There's enough BS people out there, and I think it's like, "Hey, let's arm people with knowledge, um, and offer them 
potential tools and let, let people explore. I think that's when it's most powerful, most authentic, and hopefully, you know, it works the best for people as well. Yeah, that's the plan. So really great yeah. that you're on board with that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Cheers, James. I'm sure, you know, we'll have Zill link to all the exciting initiatives and, 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 and shout that out to our community when those, when those launch. Awesome. Um, love to stay, uh, you know, stay in touch and, and, and continue the conversation when some of these things rolls, rolls out. Yeah, great. You know, thanks for uh, the time and uh, it's great to chat and uh, yeah, yeah, keep on rocking guys. And uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. we can support you or what you're doing. Keep us in the loop and um, yeah, be cool. Cool. All right. Cheers, James. See you, Take Jeff. Care. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Peace. As always, uh, that was a great episode. I, I liked for a lot of I think influencers and thought leaders is easy to just give to you know uh, you know simple ABC one two three plans and I think I liked uh, I liked how James was in refreshing the sense of hey like let's arm educate people and and arm people with the knowledge to best optimize themselves um, yeah uh, keep the awesome inbounds and questions coming uh, we in our on our team here at Human Always. Uh, love answering and figuring out how to incorporate your questions and content into our, our pieces here. And as always, find us on Google Play, Android, well, the Android Store, uh, Apple, iTunes, uh, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>